indeed means. It is not free from hardship, trial, tribulation, violence, war. But it is a reconciliation between sinful man and a holy God. That God has reconciled the enmity between man and God. And that He has created peace where once there was turmoil, where once there was a broken relationship, there is now harmony. Beautiful song. Thank you very much, Brother Mark. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to the book of Daniel chapter 11. As we continue, Daniel chapter 11, we'll read verses 35 through 45 this morning. Uh, we have one more, probably one more week in the book of Daniel. Uh, next week will be our, uh, our Christmas musical, uh, and so we'll take a break from Daniel uh, next week. Everybody said amen. Uh, and we'll take a break from the book of Daniel next week, but we'll finish uh, the week after. So the last, uh, as fitting, uh, the last Sunday of 2014, the last Sunday of the year, we'll finish our last chapter in the book of Daniel, uh, and then we'll begin uh, in the book of, uh, in the month of January, we're going to just, let me give you just a, a synopsis of where we're going. Book of Jan- in the month of January, we're going to look at, at, at kind of the, the vision and mission statement of Redeemer. We're going to take uh, three or four Sundays in the month of January and kind of preach on, on who we are and where we're going. Uh, and then in February, we will begin walking through the Gospel of Matthew. Uh, and so we'll be looking at Jesus's, uh, the story of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, a very unique look at uh, the life of Christ. Uh, so that's where we'll be. Uh, starting out in 2015, uh, so you'll want to be here for that. Uh, you'll want to invite your friends, uh, your co-workers, your family. Uh, I, I know uh, that for many of us, the book of Daniel has been uh, an interesting ride, but a difficult one. Uh, the book of Matthew uh, should be much, uh, much easier uh, for us to swallow, much more palatable. Uh, Daniel chapter 11, verse 35 through 45. And some of those who have insight will fail in order to refine, purge, and make them pure until the end of time, because it is still to come at the appointed time. Look at verse 36. Then the king will do as he pleases, and he will exalt and magnify himself above every god, and will speak monstrous things against the god of gods, and he will prosper until the indignation is finished. For that which is decreed will be done. And he will show no regard for the gods of his fathers or for the desire of women. Nor will he show regard for any other god, for he will magnify himself above them all. But instead he will honor a god of fortress, a god whose fathers, who his fathers did not know. He will honor him with gold, silver, costly stones, and treasure. He will take action against the strongest of the fortress with the help of a foreign god. He will give great honor to those who acknowledge him and he will cause them to rule over the many and will parcel out land for a price. At the end of time, the king of the south will collide with him and the king of the north will storm against him with chariots, with horsemen, with many ships. He will enter countries and overthrow them. He will pass through. He will also enter the beautiful land and many countries will fall. But these will be rescued out of his hand, Edom, Moab, and the foremost of the sons of Ammon. Then he will stretch out his hand against other countries, and the land of Egypt will not escape. 
but he will gain control over the hidden treasures of gold and silver and over all the precious things of Egypt. And the Libyans and the Ethiopians will follow at his heels. But rumors from the east and from the north will disturb him, and he will go forth with great wrath to destroy and annihilate many. He will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain. Yet he will come to his end, and no one will help him. Let's pray. God, as we look at this passage, Lord, may you speak to our hearts. May we see not only the implications for Daniel and the Israelites in the time of exile, but Lord, may we see practical application today. May we be able to glean from this passage an application for us to take home with, that we may leave here knowing that we've heard from God. But we ask all this in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. As we've walked through the book of Daniel, Daniel's now in his 80s. He's now coming to the end of his life. Uh, He has come through the reign of Babylon. He's coming now to the end of the reign of Persia. Uh, He has, we've seen uh, Nebuchadnezzar rise. We've seen Nebuchadnezzar fall. We've seen Belshazzar rise. We've seen Belshazzar fall. We've seen Cyrus come. We've seen Darius come. And then we've heard last week, we looked at, uh, as Daniel spoke of the rise and the fall of Xerxes, the great king in Persia, Alexander the Great, the great king and emperor in Greece, the military might that conquered the entire known world. We saw the reference to Antiochus and many kings. And then we see this last king, this king that we're not given the name, we're we're not told. But interestingly enough, all kings, all kings, whether whether kings of Babylon, kings of Persia, kings of Greece, emperors of Rome, all suffer the same fate. There is no one in this world that is exempt from the judgment and the justice of God. Sometimes I think in our in our 21st century technology uh, uh driven society and the world that we live in uh we we somehow think that 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 if we if we learn enough if we get educated enough if we if we can uh, accumulate enough an, enough wealth or enough power or enough support that somehow somehow on a subconscious level we believe that 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 we can that we can somehow exempt ourselves from from the judgment and the justice of God you know, uh, for several years uh, I've taught uh, at the school and I've taught everything from geometry uh, to Latin to Bible to history. I- I've taught it all in, in, um, at one point or another. Uh, and most of it is because of necessity, not because of qualification. Uh, and so I can guarantee you that, uh, that there have been times whenever I've certainly been teaching out of my element. Uh, but what is always interesting, every time uh, I teach, uh, I have the opportunity to give tests, and children love tests. They love examinations. But as a policy of mine when I'm teaching is that no student is ever exempt from a final exam, period. 
even if you've got 110%, you've made hundreds on all, the, on all the tests, on all the quizzes, on all the projects, on all the assignments, you've done extra credit work, at the end of the day, you're still required to take the final exam. And they whine and they moan and they complain, but I've got an A, and, and the, the thought process is, is if you've got an A and you've learned the material and the exam is over the material you've already learned, then no big deal, right? Come take the test, you'll make an A, no big deal. But they, they, they want to be exempt from this final exam. And I think in a lot of ways, as, as people who feel, and we live in a society that, that has reached the apex of society. We have, we've achieved more, this generation has achieved more than, than generations, than prior generations combined have. You know, if you look at the technological developments and the, the, the luxuries that we enjoy today, it, is, it confounds the mind. Even, even the lower class in our society, even the lower classes in our society, we are able and afforded all of the luxuries and the amenities that, that, that the rest of the world envies. And I believe in a lot of ways that we feel that because of who we are, because of our money, because of our prestige, because of our power, because of our piety, whatever the case may be, that many of us believe that we will somehow be exempt from the judgment, of ju- judgment and justice of God. I, I, I've heard someone say before that, that God is a good God, and because He's a good God, that, 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 he'll, just, that he'll just ignore my sin that 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 he just won't punish me because he's a good god the scripture tells us and we read in daniel chapter 11 that no king doesn't matter the amount of power doesn't matter the amount of piety doesn't matter the amount of 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 influence doesn't matter the amount of wealth doesn't matter anything that no one is exempt from the glory of god hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 says it is appointed for a man to die once and to face the judgment. That every one of us will die and we will stand before God in holy judgment. This past week, two weeks, I had the unfortunate privilege of attending two funeral services. One of a guy who used to teach for us, he died at 30 years old. He was visiting his family for Thanksgiving And on the Tuesday before Thanksgiving, his wife leaned over, and he was dead, 30 years old. This past week, a very close friend of mine, 30 years old, buried his mom. She was in her early 50s. Just a couple weeks ago, we had a dear church member Pass away, middle of the night, completely unexpected. Just a few months ago, buried my dad, 57 years old. No one is exempt from the judgment and justice of God. You say, well, preacher, that's not, that's not the judgment of God. Oh, but it is. The scripture tells us very plain and very clear that sin comes into the world and because of sin, death has come into the world. And that God is a 
God is a gracious God and a good God, but, but we live in a fallen world, and the consequences of the fallen world that we live in is sin, it's death, it's disease, it's hardship, it's, it's sickness, it's pain. It is absolutely the judgment of God. Romans 1, chapter 18 Romans chapter 1 verse 18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed against heaven, against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And you say, but, but, but they're good godly people. Yes, they are, but we live in a fallen world. And the consequences of sin are pervasive. And there's none of us who are exempt from the judgment and the justice of God. It doesn't matter how good and how pious and how benevolent we are. We are all sinners and we are all we are all subject to the justice of God. Our only hope is not in this world. It is not in earthly kings. It is not in power. It is not in prestige. It is not in fortune. It is not in fame. Our only hope is in the king of kings. It is not in these earthly kings. And that's the message of Daniel. That Nebuchadnezzar rises and falls. Belshazzar rises and falls. Cyrus rises and falls. Darius rises and falls. All of these kings, Alexander the Great, Xerxes, Antiochus, they all rise and they all fall, and none of them can do what the King of Kings can do. Jesus is the only hope for us. Our only hope is not in this earthly kingdom, but it is in the kingdom that is to come. I want to point out to you a pattern in the text. As we read through chapter 11, the last part of chapter 11 focuses on, chapters 21 through 24, focuses on the reign of Antiochus. Antiochus was a wicked, godless emperor that came into power and elevated himself as the god, uh, as, as the god of all gods. He claimed to be God. He, he took uh, serious offense to the Israelites because they, they gave their, their tribute and their homage uh, to the Lord of Israel, and so he banned uh, he banned all of the worship, all of the temple worship, uh, and all of the practices of Israel to the point of death. If you were caught with the uh, scripture, you were killed. If you were caught uh, honoring the Sabbath day, you were killed. If you were caught uh, 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 preparing a sacrifice, you were killed. This was Antiochus, and so chapters twenty one, chapters twenty one through thirty five, talk about the rise and the fall and the conflict and the oppression of Antiochus and ultimately the suffering and the steadfastness. Uh, as we get into the latter part of chapter, 30, of chapter 11, verses 36, the, really the first few verses of chapter 12, there is a parallel here between what the author is saying. And if you go back and you look through these passages, you'll see, you'll see that, that chapters 21 through 24 talk about the rise and the success of Antiochus. Chapter 25 through 31 talk about the conflict and the oppression of Antiochus. Chapters 30, uh, verses 32 through 35 talk about the suffering and the steadfastness of the people in the midst of Antiochus's reign. And then when you get to verse 36 through 39, we see this other king. And there are many scholars and many uh, commentators who believe that this is simply a a rephrasing of the same thing, a retelling of Antiochus's reign. I don't believe so. I believe that this is some future king, uh, some unnamed king by Daniel. Why would Daniel say the same thing over again that he's just said in the previous few verses? But we see the same pattern, that there's rise and success of this future leader, of this king. In verses 40 through 45, that there's conflict and oppression, that this king has, has 
made himself out to be God and he's, he, has, he has begun to go in and, and conquer all of the known world. And then we get to chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and we see the suffering and the steadfastness of the people of God. I say all of this to point out that the desire, the desire of ungodly people is always to exalt themselves. Go back and look at the text. Chapter 11. Chapter 11, verse 36. Then the king will do just as he pleases. He will exalt and magnify himself above every god. He will speak monstrous things about the god of gods, and he will prosper until the indignation is finished, for that which is decreed will be done. Look at verse 37. He will show no regard to the gods of his fathers or the desires of women, nor will he show regard to any other god, for he will magnify himself above all things. The desire of the ungodly is always to exalt themselves. This is, at times, a temptation that we often slip into. I know I do it myself. Because it's, it's natural, it is human inclination, it is part of that sinful nature that we talked about, part of that, that wickedness that we're all wrought in, that, that we want to be told that, that we're good. We want to be told of our worth, we want to be told of our value. How many of us have ever fished for compliments? You know, we get all dressed up and we say, man, I, I just... You know, I, I, I just, I feel like I've put on a few pounds. I, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not looking good in this. And, and we, we say it audibly enough that, that we want someone else to say, oh, you look great. Oh, you, you, you've done, what have you done with your hair? What, and we, we're fishing for compliments because we want to be told, we want, we want to, to have our ego stroked. We want to be told that, that, that we look good, that, that, we're, that we're attractive. Or how many of us have done something and we want to make sure that everyone else knows that we've done what it is that we've done. And we make sure that, that we wait till someone else can see before we begin to actually serve or actually do. Or, or, or we want to make sure that, that we get credit where credit's due, right? We, we you know... We're going to help with the fall festival, but I want to make sure that, that, that I am, you know, put me in a booth right by the registration table so everybody can walk by and see what I'm doing. You know, let, let me, I'll, I'll be glad to help with Vacation Bible School. I'll be glad to do whatever, but I want to make sure that I get credit where credit's due. So oftentimes, we want to make sure that others know the good that we do. And you say, but that's, that's natural that's normal it is it's also sinful Matthew chapter 23 verse 12 says humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will exalt you I believe that somehow we believe that our good deeds will add to our worth will add to our value church how how twisted and how perverted is that that somehow we believe that, that if we do good, that somehow we're more valuable to God than if we don't. Do we realize that there's nothing that we can do to add any value to ourselves at all? That the only thing that, that, that gives us value intrinsically is Christ himself? That any good that we do and any, any benevolence, any, any service is, 
an outflowing of Christ in us? Otherwise, as Isaiah says, our righteousness is as filthy rags. The actual language of that Isaiah passage, and you'll have to excuse the crassness of the language, but this is the language. The scripture tells us in Isaiah that our righteousness are as filthy rags. And the language is, is those rags that were used to, to during a woman's menstrual cycle. That, that those rags, of that, that was the most vile and that, was, that which was the most filthy, disgusting thing that, that, that they were aware of in that time, that that's what Isaiah compares our righteousness to, that our righteousness are as filthy rags. But somehow we believe that that righteousness, that those good things somehow add to our worth and somehow add to our value. Church, the scripture tells us that, that the desire of the ungodly is to exalt themselves. The desires of those who know Christ and love Christ are to exalt God and to exalt Christ. He who humbles himself will be exalted, but he who exalts himself will be humbled. I want us to notice the demise of this final king. I want us to notice the, the end of this final king. We're not told who this king is. There are many people who say, well, that this is the Antichrist. And I, I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that. I just want to point out to you that John says in his letters that there are many Antichrists. And so when, when, when you begin pointing, when you begin using the word Antichrist, you begin uh, labeling people and labeling things. And, and, and then you begin to, to, to set yourself up for, uh, for criticism. And so I'm simply, I simply believe that this is a future leader who will, who will arise uh, and come into power, whether he is the Antichrist or a Antichrist. Uh, that's for people a whole lot smarter than me to wrestle with. Uh, but the scripture tells us that in verse 45, this is where I want us to call our attention. Verse 45, it says, And he will pitch the tents of his royal pavilion between the seas and the beautiful holy mountain. Yet he will come to his end, and no one will come to help him. I want to notice the demise of this final king. We spend ten verses talking about his rise, his success, talking about his conflict, talking about how he conquers the world. And verse 45 spends exactly six Hebrew words talking about his demise. Talking about the end of this godless king. The end of this, this, this one who would come and who would raise himself above all other kings. Who would claim for himself deity. We're given exactly six Hebrew words accounting his demise. The tribulation and the trials that we may endure may indeed be terrifying. If, if we look back over the history of the church and we recount some of the stories that I alluded to in Fox's Book of Martyrs of the men who gave their life for the cause of Christ, the Peters, the Pauls, the Polycarps, the Justin Martyrs, Tertullian, Ignatius, all of the early church fathers, all of those who gave their life under the reign of the Roman Empire, 
for the cause of Christ. All of those reformers who gave their life during the Reformation. All of those missionaries today that are giving their life for the cause of Christ. The tribulation and the hardships and the trial following Christ may indeed be terrifying. But may it be comforting to know that this king, this great ruler who will will put to shame all other rulers, who will put them under under his feet, that he is so easily disposed of in six Hebrew words. It's not some great epiphanic battle that takes place. But Daniel tells us in six Hebrew words, oh, by the way, this king too shall come to an end. Because the battle has already been won. The king is already on his throne. And there is no earthly power, no earthly regime, no earthly king who can even compare to the power and the sovereignty and the might of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And so while the trials and the tribulation and the, 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 the imagery of that which is to come is indeed terrifying, may we be encouraged, church, that the king who sits on the throne is so much more powerful, that he is the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. If you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Psalm chapter 110. Psalm chapter 110. So many of us, we read Isaiah chapter 53, and we think this is the Messianic chapter that all of Israel would have been referencing. That that as we talk about Jesus, that this is the clear point, this is the, the clear reference for the Messiah. But for the Israelites, that was not the case. For the Israelites, the Messianic promise was Psalm chapter 110. Everything that the Israelites believed about the Messiah comes from this passage, Psalm 110. They believe this was the, and it absolutely is. The gospel is that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus is King. Yes, He is that suffering servant who by His stripes we are healed. Yes, He is that suffering servant who, as a lamb led to the slaughter, Christ was led to the cross, silent before his shears. Yes, that is Christ. But more than that, Christ is that conquering king. Psalm chapter 110. Listen to this. This is what the Israelites would have heard about their Messiah. The Lord, talking about David, says to my Lord, the king, sit at my right hand until what? I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. The Lord will stretch forth His strong scepter from Zion, saying, Rule in the midst of my enemies. Your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power. In holy array from the womb of the dawn, thy youth are to you as dew. The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. The Lord is at your right hand. He will shatter the kings in the day of his wrath. He will judge among the nations. He will fill them with corpses. They will shatter the chief men over broad country. He will drink from the brook by the wayside. And there he will lift up his head. That the Lord will say to my Lord, until I make your enemies a footstool, God is going to make Jesus 
king. Jesus is going to sit on the right. Jesus is going to sit on the throne. And all of the enemies of the world, all of the kings, all of the rulers, all of the principalities, all of the dark forces, the scripture says very plain and very clear that this is the hope of Christianity. This is the hope of Christmas that there was a Savior who was born. Who is He? He is Christ the Lord. Notice the proclamation of the angels. We just read it. For there is born to you a Savior. There is born to you a Savior in the city of David. Who is He? Christ the Lord. Christ the Lord. Psalm 110. Until my enemies are made my footstool. Christ will reign as the Lord of all. Christ is the Lord of all. The hope of Christmas is Christ as the Lord. The realization of Easter as Jesus rose from the grave is that Christ is Lord. And the reality of the second coming is that Christ is Lord. And so as we conclude Daniel chapter 11, hear this, that regardless of what we are going through on this earth, regardless of who is the king, whether it's Nebuchadnezzar, whether it's Xerxes, Alexander the Great, whether it's Barack Obama, whether it's whoever the next president will be, it's irrelevant. Because there is a king who sits on his throne who is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he will reign and he will make all of his enemies his footstool. And so that is our hope, church. That is where our, our joy lies. And that is where our realization of hope for this world is. It's not in what this world can bring, but it's in that world that is to come. Jesus said of his disciples, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, then my servants would be fighting for me. But my kingdom is not of this world. Church, this kingdom is not the end. This world is not the end. We live for another world. One that is greater. One that is greater. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that this world is not our home. That we are simply aliens in a strange place. God, we pray that if there are those here this morning who know not what it means to place their hope in a world that is to come, or that this morning may be the day of salvation, that they would come and they'd say, Preacher, I don't have a clue what you're talking about, that world that is to come. If that's you, I want to invite you to come. Place your faith and your trust, not in this king, in this world, but in the world that is to come. Well, there are those here this morning who find themselves exalting themselves, striving to, to live a life so that everyone sees who they are and what they do. Or may today be a day of repentance. That our response is, Lord, may the world see Jesus in me, not me. There are those of you this morning whom God is speaking to your heart. Maybe God is speaking to you this morning 
confirming that here at Redeemer, that this is where God has called you to serve, to get plugged into the ministries here. Whatever it is the Lord is speaking to your heart this morning, may you respond in obedience. Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Let's stand and sing together hymn number 412, The Savior is Waiting. Just a couple of announcements. Uh, if you are free this afternoon, uh, it'd be a great opportunity for you to uh, find a spot on Jones Creek to catch the parade. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, we'll have two floats. We'll have a big float and then uh, a boat because uh, RCA is the catch of the day. Uh, I had nothing to do with it. Uh, 
So that'll be uh, this afternoon. Also tonight, uh, you'll want to be back for 6 p.m. Uh, and watch the children's, watch the church children's Christmas performance. Uh, they will be singing. Uh, they'll be reciting uh, passages of scripture. It'll be a wonderful, uh, sweet time uh, as we watch these little ones uh, sing praises to the king. Also, this coming Friday uh, at 6 p.m. at our O'Neill campus, we have our churchwide uh, Christmas party. If my wife has not gotten to you yet, uh, she will. Uh, we want to make sure that everyone uh, that, is, that is physically possible is there. It's a great time, uh, fellowship, a great time uh, just to be the body of Christ and enjoy one another. Uh, so that's this coming Friday uh, at our O'Neill campus. Also, please continue to pray about how the Lord uh, would lead you to give towards our Lottie Moon uh, Christmas offering. Uh, we'll continue through the Christmas season uh, giving and collecting towards that. All of the funds received from our Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes directly to the mission field. Not one cent of it goes to administration. Not one cent of it goes to mail outs or anything like that. All of that is taking place uh, by, uh, by other funds. All of, the, all of the proceeds received for a Lottie Moon Christmas offering goes directly to the mission field. Also, our adult uh, Christmas performance will be next Sunday morning. They have two more practices, uh, one this afternoon at 4.30 and then one Thursday at 30. 4.30 this afternoon and 6.30. Uh, if you'd like to sing, you can get with Brother Mark. Uh, and so that is this coming Sunday morning. Any other announcements? I'm sure I missed. All right. Well, let's close with the word of prayer. Brother Mark, would you close us, please? Let's stand together. Father God, it's, it's a great day to, to, to love you and to be loved by you, to study that love, Lord, from so many different angles, Lord, and to experience it in so many different ways. And Lord, we are thankful that you sent your son to die on that cross so that we can live this way and eventually live forever with you in eternity. Lord, as we go from this place into this hub, uh, hubbub of activities of this season, Lord, just keep us mindful. Just keep us mindful that you are the reason for this season, that all of these activities are to lift up and glorify the name of Jesus, Lord. And we will be careful to give you the praise and the honor and the glory in everything that we do. In Jesus' name, amen.